The Lord be with you. I have here today with me a picture from my wedding. You can see there's me in the middle and my wife, Annalisa. My dad is there and my stepmom, Barbara, and her two children, my stepbrother and my stepsister, Ian and Katie. And I say that they are my stepbrother and my stepsister, but the truth is they have been my siblings since I've been five years old. They have been a brother and a sister to me in every way that matters. And some of you might be surprised about this because I don't really talk about them much. I don't mention them in many of my sermons. And the issue is they are hardworking, good-hearted, loving people. And my sermons are about how God responds to our human brokenness. My siblings are not dysfunctional enough to make good sermon material. (laughs) Yes, my life, lots of opportunities to talk about them, not so much. But six months ago, my brother-in-law, a man named Mitch, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Now here's some things you gotta know about Mitch. Mitch is one of the strongest men I know both physically, but also in terms of his character. He's a cowboy, an old-school kind of cowboy. He's got the strength that comes from being a third-generation rancher in the mountains of eastern Oregon, the kind of strength that comes from baling hay and fixing pipes before you go to breakfast in school as a kid. It's the kind of strength that made him a steer-wrestling rodeo champion, He's got a strength inside him that means he's friendly to everybody because he's afraid of nobody. And he's also got within him um, a sharp wit and kind of a goofy sense of humor. But he tells his jokes real slow. It's kind of how they talk over there. And there's a, a sense in which he, he tells his jokes slow, but he also opens his Christmas presents slow, and he eats his second slice of rhubarb pie slow, because he's a man who believes that if you're going to do something, you should do it right. And so you savor it. And he's the kind of guy who, when I'd go and visit my family, he'd often be off with his own family, because he worked for the Bureau of Land Management. He uh, was a brand inspector. He would go around making sure other cowboys, they played fair. But even when he wasn't do that, he'd go and he'd work on his family ranch, helping his dad and his brother. Because he's the kind of guy who, who had the strength of character to always think of how he could offer other people help and was never one to accept much help himself. Except that stage four pancreatic cancer has a fatality rate of 97%. And so when we offered to help him through prayer, He said yes. And so the question becomes, Lord, teach us to pray. How do I pray for Mitch? And when Jesus' disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get to in a little bit. But then Jesus teaches them about the attitude of prayer that he wants them to have. And, And he tells a little parable. He says, you know, say it's the middle of the night and you've got a guest who's just come over and you don't have anything to feed them. And back then they don't have 24 hour stores. So the only thing you can do is go over to your neighbor's house and you bang on the door and you say, hey, 
Lend me some bread. I got to feed my guests. And the neighbor says, oh man, it's late. I'm in bed with my kids. We've locked the door. No, go away. Jesus says, keep banging on that door. He says, even if your friend won't help you for being a friend, he will get up and help you for your persistence. And that word persistence, it, can, it also conveys the meaning of audacity. It's persistent audacity. Because you've got to imagine, right, Jesus is saying it's the middle of the night. You need some food. Your neighbor's not going to help you. Keep banging on that door, throwing rocks at his windows, making a ruckus until all the other neighbors are starting to wake up, saying, hey, what's going on? Keep it down out there. Until your neighbor is so shamed by everyone else that they're like, fine, I'll get up and give you what you want. Jesus says that kind of persistent audacity is how we should pray to God. And it's that kind of persistent audacity that we see in Abraham's prayer today from Genesis 18. You see, God has this plan to go down and check out the sin of Sodom. And because in our minds today, in the past 200 years, Sodom has become associated with homosexuality, it's important to know that what the Bible describes as the sin of Sodom can be found in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. And it says, this is the sin of Sodom, that she was arrogant and overfed and uncaring, and she did not care for the poor and the needy. As a reminder, this story is coming immediately after Abraham shows hospitality to God, Sodom is notoriously inhospitable, and so God is going to go check out and see if that's true. And God says, if it is, I'm just going to wipe out the whole place. And Abraham, in response, says, hold up a minute there, God. I may not be a fan of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you're really going to wipe out a whole city because some people in there are sinning? That doesn't seem very fair. Abraham says to God, what, what if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? Will you wipe out the whole city? God says, well, no, I guess if there's 50 righteous people, we'll let him go. And Abraham says, oh, thanks, God. And then Abraham says, but you know, God, now that I think about it, what if there's just like five people short of those 50, right? Like, because there's five people short, you're going to wipe out the whole city? And God's like, well, no, okay, fine. If there's 45, I'll, I'll spare. And, and Abraham says, look, I, you know, I'm just dust and ash here, and you're the Almighty, but seems to me if there's 40 righteous people, you should probably let the city go, God. And God says, fine, if there's 40. And, and Abraham says, okay, you know, I know this is asking a lot, God, but what if there's 30? God says, fine. What if there's 20, God? Abraham says, just one more time, God. What if there's 10? God says, fine. Right, to imagine this mortal going toe-to-toe with the Almighty six times, saying, God, I know you got a plan, but it's not a good plan. Let me tell you a better one, God. This is how you should run the universe. What gives Abraham that audacious persistence? It is that Abraham knows who God is. Abraham says, you are the judge of the world, O God. Should not you live out justice? Abraham is arguing not for what he wants. Abraham is arguing for who he knows God is. Abraham is demanding that God be who God has promised to be. And because of that, Abraham has no fear. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. And because of that, right, knowing who God is gives us the power to demand that God be who God says God is. And so, When I pray, right, I I pick a name for God that helps me know that this is who God is. So when I'm praying for guidance, whether it's, 
you know, literally I'm lost on the highway or something, or, or I need some direction in life, I pray to God, the good shepherd. I say, God, you led your people out of the wilderness. You better led, lead me too, because you say you're the good shepherd. Or when I've really screwed up, my wife's mad at me. It happens every now and then. I pray to God, I pray to the Redeemer. I say, blessed Redeemer, you say you came for the sinners. I'm one of them. You better come for me and help me out now, God. When I pray for peace in Ukraine and Afghanistan, I pray to the Prince of Peace. I say, this is who you are, O God. Show up. Jesus gives us a name for how we can pray to God, and that name is Father. Jesus says, pray to God as your Father. And because not all of us have had great experiences with our fathers, Jesus tells us the kind of Father that God is to us. Jesus says, hey, who among you, if your kid asks you for a fish, you know, because they're hungry, you say, ah, no, here, instead, have a live snake. No. Or if your kid asks you for an egg, who's going to give him a scorpion? No. Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more is your heavenly Father eager to give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks? Jesus says we should pray to God as that loving and generous Father who is eager to give us good things. This is the kind of father that Mitch is. I got a picture of him here with his kids. His daughter, Nia, on on the right there, when she was little, you know, she saw the rest of her family riding around on horses, and, you know, she's she's barely in in kindergarten. She wants a horse herself, too. Dad says, hmm, I don't think you can ride a horse. Well, she says, what about a pony? Dad says, okay, you can have a pony, but you better be sure Nia knew before she got that pony how to brush it, how to feed it, how to muck out its manure. And when she got older, she said, well, now I'm big enough. I want a real horse, but horses are expensive. They're expensive to buy. They're expensive to keep. Mitch spends his summers fighting fires in Oregon. He always asks for the most dangerous, most intense fire situations because that's where he can earn the most money to provide for his family so that Nia can have that horse that she wants. He's the scoutmaster for his son's troop. And he's not always just out doing rough and tumble stuff. His, his son Payson there loves, loves Legos and Star Wars, and, and Mitch is happy enough to sit on the floor and play with him. But for all these gifts that he gives them, the greatest gift that he gives them is himself. Say he works a lot. And so if he spent all his time working and left his kids at home, he wouldn't get to see them. So he takes them along with them. Those kids know how to ride, and they have horses so that they can come along and mend fence with him, so that they can ride out to castrate steers and brand cattle. He gives them everything he has, and most of all, he gives them himself. And so for this kind of father, for the past six months, I have been praying. I have prayed as one father, for another father, and I have prayed to the heavenly father, saying, don't you dare leave my niece and nephew orphans. And it's not just been me praying. My parents' church, dozens of churches up and down eastern Oregon, Mitch's family, they've got cousins who are real faithful people, and every single week they pray with Mitch for the past six months, and If you've looked closely at your prayer list, you'll see that you have been too. 
A month ago, Mitch died. Two days before Father's Day. And it's one of these things where you say, what gives, God? Jesus, didn't you say, ask, and you will receive? I mean, Abraham, look, Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. God still burned down those cities. Maybe it was because Abraham didn't pray hard enough. Maybe he didn't negotiate long enough. Maybe if, if Abraham had talked God down to saying, if there's one righteous person in the city, you'll spare them all. Maybe. But Jesus doesn't say there's like a certain time limit or a certain number of times or anything like that. Jesus just says, ask. So what gives Jesus? What gives? Where is this heavenly father who is eager to give his children the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And maybe that's the answer. Because when Jesus says, ask and you will receive Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Jesus doesn't say what you will receive is wealth or success or even a guarantee of good health. What Jesus says you will receive is the Holy Spirit. Which, you know, what, what good is that to those of us who are desperately trying to keep someone alive? What good is that to Abraham trying to save a whole city? But you know, when... God is preparing to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. We hear a little internal monologue. We get a little bit of God's thought process beforehand. Because God says to God's self, I'm going to go check out Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says to God's self, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? And God says, no. I'll tell Abraham my plan. And the reason is, is because Abraham is meant to be the father of many nations. Literally, God has given Abraham a new name, which means father of many nations. God says, Abraham needs to know what I am about to do so that Abraham can be that father, can be a blessing to every nation on the earth, can teach his children what justice and righteousness look like. God tells Abraham that he is going to go burn down Sodom and Gomorrah so that Abraham will fight back. So that Abraham will say, wait a minute, God, that's not just. So that Abraham will pray for these cities that he doesn't even really like. Because God has intended for Abraham to be the father of every single nation. And a father fights for his kids, including the ones he's not really a fan of right now. God tells Abraham God's plan so that Abraham will pray. Not so much so that prayer will change God, but so that prayer will change Abraham to be the person that God has called Abraham to be. When Jesus answers this question, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus teaches his disciple the Lord's Prayer. Although you may have noticed as I read it today, that the version we read in Luke is, is not quite the version we pray each week. It's because Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer twice. Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer once on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then once here in Luke. And they're just slightly different. The Luke version leaves out a few of the things that the Matthew version has. But in both of them, Jesus tells us to pray to our Heavenly Father. 
And then Jesus tells us that we should ask things of our heavenly Father, right? We should ask for our daily bread. We should ask God to forgive us our sins. We should ask not to be led into temptation. But for as many things as Jesus tells us to ask God, the Lord's Prayer has just as many that Jesus tells us to ask of ourselves. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, right? Literally, may your name be holy, God. God's keeping God's name holy. The angels are doing just fine keeping God's name holy. Who's not keeping God's name holy? It's us. Who is it that needs to change for that prayer to come to pass? It's us. When Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, God's doing God's will. Who needs to change for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? It is us. When Jesus teaches us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us, who are indebted to us, who needs to change to bring that into fulfillment? It is us. For as much as Jesus teaches us to pray in hopes that we might change God, Jesus teaches us to pray so that God might change us. We pray this prayer week after week in hopes that we might actually listen to the words that we are saying, that we might actually believe the words that we are saying, that we might be those words that we are saying and bring this prayer to fruition. I know my own father, not so different from lots of other dads in this world. I'm blessed that he is a loving father and I have him still. Many times in my life I have asked him for things and he has told me no. No, you don't get that. I've asked him for many things I want, and he has told me no, but he has always given me everything that I need. And sometimes what I have needed is to work hard and to grow and to learn that maybe I don't really want that thing I'm asking for, or that maybe I do want that thing that I'm asking for, and so I need to learn how to earn it for myself. My father has always been there to help me do that. Jesus tells us to pray to our Heavenly Father. But God is not some slot machine in the sky. Our prayers are not quarters where we keep putting in enough of them and cranking that lever and eventually we're going to win the prize that we want. No. God is the source of all power and possibility. Our prayers are like a power cord that plugs us directly into the Holy Spirit and plugged into that source of all power, we receive that power in ourselves. It is the power to turn on the lights in our life so that we can actually see when God does answer our prayer, that we can recognize the way God works even when it's not exactly what we want. When we plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, it gives us the power to be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we can be the answer to prayer that we yearn for. Jesus tells us to pray with persistent audacity to keep that power cord plugged in because the moment we unplug it, the lights go out in our eyes and we'll fail to see what God is doing. The moment we unplug it is the moment we make it harder for the Holy Spirit to transform us and be God's answer to prayer. I've been praying for six months and this past week, I went up to Mitch's hometown and mine of Milton Freewater, Oregon, and I prayed at Mitch's funeral. And this is a funeral like no other I've ever been to, because I've never been to a cowboy funeral before. 
It was held in the posse grounds outside of Milton Freewater where they ride horses and train for rodeos and all that good stuff. Those three horses in the background, one of them on the far left there is Mitch, and then it's his brother and his father's. Both of them have died in the past two years. I got another picture there, and it's a picture of uh, four hats, four cowboy hats. The top one is Mitch's grandfather's, which he wore often, and then that of his dad, and then his brother, and then Mitch's. There's a, a board, you know, funerals have guest books. They had a guest book here too, but they also had a board where people could uh, bring their branding irons, yeah, that they used to brand their cattle, and they could leave their mark on this board to say, I was here. I was here to support Mitch. And before the service started, 30 children, 30 children on horses rode by carrying the American flag because Mitch had been a part of helping these kids learn how to ride, and so they wanted to honor him one cowboy to another. But for all those things, what amazed me about this funeral was that when I got up to pray, I looked out and I saw 300 people who'd shown up on a Friday in 90-degree weather outdoors. And I looked out at them, and every single one of them I knew was thinking the same thing I did, which is we're about to pray, but we've been praying for six months. Where's your answer, God? But after the service I looked out and I tried to find my niece and my nephew and I had trouble keeping track of them because there were swarms of other kids surrounding them, playing with them, joking around. And in each of those swarms, there was a parent, a half dozen parents, all of them corralling my family in the midst of this chaos. And I realized that those 300 people had been praying that God not leave my niece and nephew without a family. And then they had shown up to make sure my niece and nephew had a family. I pray, siblings in Christ, I pray every single day. I pray when I wake up and I pray when I go to bed. I pray before meals and before meetings. I pray in the shower and beneath the stars. I pray by myself. I pray holding my wife. I, I pray as I put my daughter to bed. I pray for the sick and for the stressed. I pay, pray for peace in this world. I pray for strength and wisdom to be a good pastor, a good husband, a good father. I pray because I've seen prayers answered more times than I can count, and, and most of those times have been by changing who I am. I pray because the pain of this world is so great that if I weren't connected to a power that was bigger than them all, I'd be overwhelmed. I pray because there are prayers I have not yet seen answered, and Jesus tells me to pray. To pray with persistent audacity. And so I pray still for my sister. I pray for my niece and my nephew because their dad may have died, but Jesus has promised they have a heavenly father. And so like Abraham, I will hold God to that promise. I will demand that God be who God has promised to be, the father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I will pray until I receive the power of the Holy Spirit, until Mitch's family and I can see God make good on those promises. I will pray until I have the power to be a part of God making good on those promises. May we pray 
siblings. May we pray with persistent audacity. May we keep ourselves plugged into the source of all power so that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to see prayer answered. So the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be prayer answered. Amen.